Well, quite a number of years ago, when I was living in Calgary, I was downtown at a car dealership, and I was in the process of buying a used truck. And when I was purchasing this truck, I had a salesman by the name of Mehdi, and he was uh, from the country of Iran, and he was a Muslim man. And him and I were sitting in his manager's office, and we were uh, finalizing the deal and filling out the paperwork and so on, and uh, getting ready for me to finish the details of purchasing it. And Mehdi was explaining to me some of the uniquenesses of this truck, because you see, it was a truck that ran both on propane and on gas. And so he was explaining some of the details of that, and then his manager kind of cut him off and dismissed him and started to jump in and explain some things about this truck. And his manager said, uh, you have to understand that propane burns uh, hotter than fuel does, and so you have to be aware of a few things like that. And he went on to explain a few other things. And then when we were done with the paperwork, the manager left the office, and Mehdi kind of smiled and he leaned over to me and he said, um, propane doesn't burn hotter, it burns drier. And I came to find out that Mehdi had a master's degree in propane technology. We uh, went about the rest of that sale and then I remember going outside getting the keys from Mehdi and all excited about my new used truck that I was going to drive off and we started a conversation and we talked for quite a while, and I left the lot that day, not only having a new used truck, but also having made a new friend. And over the course of the next two years, I came to realize that Mehdi had quite a story. Because you see, Mehdi was a man who uh, was the general manager of the second largest oil refinery in Iran. He had 12,000 employees that worked under him. He had a chauffeur and a bodyguard that went with him everywhere that he went. Him and his wife, Nahid, had a beautiful villa at the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Lisa and I saw pictures of it in their family photo albums. And he had two beautiful daughters named Mona and Nona. And what was interesting about them was that they had left all of this to come to Canada. You see, Nahid was a lawyer back in Iran, and she was now in Canada trying to figure out how to get work in her area of expertise as a new immigrant to the country. And Mehdi was somebody now who was going around, not only did he have a master's degree in propane technology, but he had a second master's degree, and he had many, many years of executive leadership in the oil and gas industry. And now he was in Calgary trying to get a job in that industry and thinking that this would be a great place to start a new life. But he, everywhere he went, he was turned away and rejected, and he didn't know if he was overqualified, he didn't know if it was the color of his skin, or whether it was his weird accent, or something else, but he couldn't get a job. And so here he was, selling used cars in Calgary, with a manager who had no idea the kind of expertise that was on his staff. So over the next two years, Lisa and I, we got to know this story because we were in their homes many times, and we had meals together with them. I love the food, Lisa not so much. Um, and it was this wonderful Mediterranean food. And then we would also come and have them over to our place. And we would talk about things and engage things. And we taught them how to go tobogganing down a hill and enjoy the snow for the first time. And Mehdi and I would have many conversations about faith. And we came to respect and love each other as brothers of faith, even though we came to points of very different perspectives on certain things about our faith, especially of who is Jesus where we agreed to disagree, and we respected each other, and we were friends anyways. But what Lisa and I came to appreciate about uh, them as a couple is that they had left so much to start a new life because their daughters 
were these beautiful girls, and they were concerned about them, and Mehdi was concerned about some of the extreme Muslim views in his country, in the leadership, in the culture, and he didn't want that for his children. So he left all of it to start over. You know, stories are incredible things that actually tell us a whole lot about people, aren't they? Stories are some of the most important means that we have to convey truth. That's why Jesus used stories all the time. Jesus told parables. He told stories of everyday things. He told stories about seeds and about plants and about fish and about all kinds of things that people could see and experience around them in life all the time. And so he told stories because they captured so much meaning and so much truth. I think for many of us as we watch movies from time to time and we we gravitate, I gravitate towards true stories because true stories are personal, they're real, they catch us emotionally because we sort of get involved in the lives of the people and think about this actually happened. Every one of us have stories. We all have our own stories. But the reality is that we often don't reflect on our stories that much. And sometimes for some of us, we could reflect on our stories a little bit more and a little bit deeper to understand some of the ways that we have been shaped by our stories by the culture that we grew up in, by the family of origin that we were placed in. There are many things that kind of shape and mold our stories in different ways. So there's my story, and each of us have what we could call my story. But then there's also the other stories of those around us. Not only the story that is our own personal one that has shaped us, but also the ways that other people share and live their stories around us as well. And the reality is is that our stories, they shape our attitudes, they shape our responses, they shape our worldview or the lens that we see the world through, the way we see situations, the way we see other people. And so, so much shapes our story and also how we interpret other stories. Now, many of you uh, know lots of my story. I've been around long enough telling my stories. You know that I grew up on a farm in Carrot River, Saskatchewan, small town, and uh, Grew up on a farm as a young boy, loved that kind of life. I grew up with seven siblings, seven kids in my family. And so I'm the youngest of, four, of five boys, and I have an older sister and a younger sister. And, and most of you know that. But that alone, even those two facts of growing up on a farm and having those kind of siblings in my life have profoundly shaped me. And I could unpack all kinds of things about me and my worldview just because of that alone. It shaped me. Um, Some of you might remember me sharing some stories about the year before Lisa and I got married over 30 years ago, and there was one year that was really significant for our family. It was a year when my dad got cancer, and he had apparently the fastest, one of the fastest growing cancers that you can get, and it was thankfully on his ear, and they saw it, removed it, and then he had chemotherapy, and we were, he lost all his hair, and we were concerned that we were going to lose him at that time. That same year, My brother-in-law had this strange, bizarre accident that seemed kind of innocent, but he broke his neck and he became a quadriplegic. That radically changed the course of his life, understandably, and the life of my sister. That same year, my younger sister uh, was hospitalized and had anorexia, and the doctor said that her heart could probably stop beating at any time in the night because she was so weak. So that year for us as a family, was one that obviously shaped us. It shaped us profoundly. It shaped me profoundly and had many impacts on my life. Now, I've processed that story in lots of ways, and each of our family members have each processed that in different ways. But my point is, is that we all need to process our stories. 
to think deeply about what is it that shapes us? What is it that has marked us? What is it that gives us lenses that we view circumstances that we see in the world? What is it that gives us lenses that uh, helps us to see other people in a certain way and to reflect on these things more deeply in our lives? Because you see, our stories don't happen in isolation. They interact with other people. So there's also this whole idea of your story. And what I mean by that is the story of the other. The story of the other. The story of the other people around us, like you people in the room, like the people that are watching on live stream, is, is how do we understand the story of the other? The ability to draw out their story, to listen to their story, to understand their story. We know people at a certain level. A lot of times we know people at a surface level. We might know people from a distance sometimes. We, we see things on social media and we follow them in some ways and we get a sense of who they are and a little bit of their story. But the reality is, is that even if we might think that we kind of know them, probably we are making judgments about them far quicker than we should, don't we? We draw conclusions. We, we make assumptions. We go, okay, I understand them a little bit. I, I, I think I get some of their story. And the reality is, is that we actually stop listening and stop understanding way before we actually understand their story or even begin to truly feel it in any way. And then it begs the question, do we really want to understand the other's story? Like, do we really? Do we really want to take the time and care and listen and walk with people in their context and understand their story in one respect or another? Because it takes time, it takes courage, it takes grace. It, it takes a long time of withholding judgment, actually. If you really want to understand somebody else's story, to not allow your defenses to come up or your biases to emerge or your responses to come too quickly, but just to keep drawing out and drawing out the story. So we need to ask questions and to listen and to ask more and more questions. You know, I think we can all learn to do that more. I'll learn to hear and draw out other people's stories more, especially the stories of pain and hurt, ones that are hard to hear, like the stories of racism that are rising to the surface and being seen and heard and told in our world today. We see it in the news and we, we see it and we experience it around us. But do we really see? Do we have soft eyes to see? Do we have soft hearts to understand in the ways that we need to understand? You know, and for many people, it's a time when it's just kind of causing a lot of divisions and maybe it creates sides or camps and we, if we're honest, it can kind of entrench us into some positions. We get triggered by certain phrases or certain words that kind of send us, and then we use political jargon and all kinds of things where the stories actually get lost. But this is a season, I think, if we take the time, it can start to reveal our worldviews. It can actually start to reveal our own biases if we care to see them, if we actually care to help to have other people help us to see them, they're called blind spots. And by, their, by the very nature, by the very def definition, they're spots and things that we actually cannot see because we're blind to them. And we need other people to help us to see them. But this is a time when I think we need to all be challenged to understand our stories better, to listen better, to reflect better, 
to explore our own stories better, to explore the stories of the other more deeply. And that's what we want to do some in this series, and specifically as it comes to this topic of racism. Now, I get it, and disclaimer right at the outset, I'm a middle-aged white guy talking about racism. I understand that there's bias there. But I also understand that there's lots that I don't understand about my bias. And that's where we need each other. And I even have a, an advisory group in this series that is going to help me to see my biases. And I also won't be doing the teaching alone. We'll hear different stories throughout this series. But it's important that we try. It's important that we embark on it. It's important that we engage even when there's landmines all over the place. Because these are stories that matter. I want to start, though, with a story that gives context and meaning to all of our stories, and that's the story of God. And that's why today and next week we're going to start into the story of God as the first of the primary stories that we need to look at, and we're looking at that from the book of Ephesians, and I would encourage you to turn there as we'll look at that in just a moment. Because when we, when we only look at our own stories in isolation, we actually get lost. We actually don't have a footing. It's like when you're reaching out in the dark and you can't feel the boundaries or the edges or something to grab onto. And that's sometimes what happens when we look at our own stories in isolation without actually looking at the broader story. Because you see, the story of God gives us context. It gives us a foundation. It gives us things to hold on to, things to understand, and a lens to see through our own story and the story of the other. And so it's important to understand God's story in all of this. Because see, God's story speaks to our human brokenness that results in issues like racism, but it also reveals an incredible story of reconciliation in more ways than we often realize, which we'll see. God's story is written through the pages of Scripture, and it begins with a God who is good and creates good things, including all the things seen and unseen, who decided in his love to give creation an expression of his own image, the human being. You and me and all humanity who has been created through the, all the centuries of, of time, culminating in Jesus, who was God in human flesh. And the book of Ephesians, or this letter that was written to this, written to this church in Ephesus, gives this sweeping and this powerful account of the story of God in remarkable ways and will be the primary text, as Don said, throughout this series. So today I want to just look at a few passages from Ephesians chapter 1. And just to listen to how Paul describes some of God's big story in regards to Jesus. A God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. A God who loved us, chose us before the creation of the world. He gave us freedom to choose and to mess up. And you know what? We did. And we do. But then he provided the very solution to our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then I'll read just in verses 9 to 14 where Paul continues to unpack this incredible story of God. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill, fulfill his own good plan. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, as Paul is writing as a Jew, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. 
He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So right here, even in this first section that we are looking at in Ephesians, we see that in God's story, we see this God as the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all right there in this story. We also see that God has a plan, and God is unfolding his plan, which I think we can take great encouragement in today, especially in a time when we wonder if the world is just in chaos. No, no, God is in control, and God has a plan. And so we take solace in that. God has an inheritance for us, it says. That's part of his story. And this mysterious plan is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And when we believe and trust his plan, he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit. And this plan also includes reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. A new kind of community of faith. And you know, these, these two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, they, they had an opposition to each other and a resentment to each other and a hatred of each other that I don't think we understand. But they were a group of people or groups of people who were so opposed to each other, so at odds with each other, that this, as they read this, as they would read this letter when Paul sent this letter, they would be astounded that this is part of God's plan that really the Jews and the Gentiles, they're going to be like together in this kind of community. And it's like, yeah, this is God's plan. A new kind of people. It says a new community of spiritual wisdom, of confident hope, of resurrection power. That's what Paul prayed for. That's the prayer that Don led us in at the beginning of the service. That we would be that kind of people. So God's story has both this vertical and this horizontal reconciliation. This vertical reconciliation between people and God and this horizontal reconciliation between people and people people of all kinds of people who would be reconciled towards each other and they would be one church, one body, one group, one people under God. And that's part of this incredible story of God that Paul is unpacking here in Ephesians. And it's accomplished by what Jesus did on the cross. And it's for people who are far away and people who are close. And he's talking about a spiritual distance, not just a physical distance, but People who are far away from God and people who are close. This is the plan. And the church is this beautiful body of believers of all these diverse people, or at least it's supposed to be. And just listen to what he says at the end of that chapter. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, if you just look at those verses, like, that is an incredible statement. That is quite a story that God is writing. And we are invited into this plan. We are invited into this story, this inheritance, called to be this community of reconciliation, community of inclusion that no longer sees Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, black or white. This is God's plan. This is God's story that he continues to write today through the church. One author by the name of Palmer Becker, he captures the essence of this in a helpful, what I think is a helpful way, and he makes three statements about our faith that I think we can see here even in this text that we just looked at. And he says this, Jesus is the center of our faith, community is the center of our life, and reconciliation is the center of our work. And so 
this captures, I think, in a really helpful way, the essence of God's plan and how our story and your sto- my story and your story are to work together into God's story so that together we have our story. That Jesus is at the center. He's the main character. He is the central figure. He is the foundation upon which this story is built. It's all about Jesus Christ. His miraculous birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. This is the pinnacle of God's story. But also that there is this profound and beautiful community of all nations, of all colors, of all people. That this is God's loving pursuit. This is his plan of an incredible community that is the center of our life. But it's also a community that is bent on reconciliation. And this idea that reconciliation is actually at the very core and the center of our work as a community. Again, this vertical reconciliation between us and God and the horizontal reconciliation between each other, but that reconciliation is absolutely at the center. You know, I have uh, had people ask me, as we've been talking about this series in the previous weeks in different settings and preparing in different ways, I've had people say, so Bruce, what's the goal? What's the end goal in this series? What do you hope to accomplish in this series, or what's the purpose? And, And I could say, well, I have a dream, not as audacious as Martin Luther King's, but maybe it's just a small segment of that much bigger dream. And my dream for this series would simply be this, that at the end of this series, there would be a few things that would be different for you. A few things that would be different for each one of that in each of these four stories. That you would have the courage to reflect more deeply and to process more profoundly and to be more brutally honest with your own story. That each one of us, as we think about this idea of my story would, would actually look more deeply at the things, the biases that have shaped us, where they have come from, the lenses that we look through, the worldview that we have for one reason or another, the circumstances that we've encountered, the family of origin we grew up with, the culture that we've been in, the privileges that we've had, whatever it is, that we would have a more honest assessment of our own story. Secondly, that we would be more patient and more willing to actually draw out the story of the other. That we would have a deep desire to know your story, and your story, and your story. That we would actually be a people who draw out and ask better questions, listen longer, withhold judgment longer, to try to truly understand each other's stories. I also dream that we'd be able to understand God's story more profoundly. That we would have a better understanding of this context and this foundation that gives purpose and meaning to our stories. And then lastly, that maybe, just maybe, that our story as the church could be written in a different way going forward. That we could actually continue to write a story that looks and feels different for all people. That is this story of remarkable reconciliation centered on Jesus Christ. And this ministry of reconciliation that he has given us. That we could live out as a church in a different way that is more honoring to God and is in the ways that he intended for each one of us. So that's my dream. That's my hope. That's my goal for this series. That that we would understand these four stories better. And that we would reflect more of Jesus in how we live them out. I want to invite Brittany up. And I want to just conclude in a word of prayer.
Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your incredible story of hope, of promise, of insight, of reconciliation. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who goes first, that you are a God who initiates because of your love for us. And now you call us to live out of that and write remarkable stories through our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change us. I pray that you would transform us. I pray that you would help us to understand better our own stories, to reflect deeper about them. And God, that we would be far more equipped and far better to listen and engage and draw out the story of the other, to really appreciate people for who they are and how God's created them. And God, would you change us as the church? Would you give us courage and capacity and the amount of brokenness that is needed and repentance and renewal in order to be a different kind of church? Help us to write the kind of stories that you've had in mind, that you long for, that you died for. Would you change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we respond in these next few minutes, we encourage you to worship together as Brittany leads us. But also we want to give opportunity for you to ask questions. And again, there's a number that will be on the screen. And if you want to text questions, that we'll take them here. And Kevin's going to field those in just a minute. And uh, we'll try to respond to some of those questions as we continue to respond and to worship the living King, Jesus Christ.